Welcome back to Tell Me About Your Kids with Bonnie Harris. I am Adam Arnone, filling in for Bonnie this week. We're going to be going into the archives um, and replaying episode 66, which was from October 28th of 2021, which feels like a lifetime ago. It was one of the community pieces that Bonnie does every so often. The name of that episode was Denial is the Harpy of Racism, a conversation on how to talk to all kids about race. Bonnie's guests that week were Emma Redden and Grace Aldridge of the Full Story School. They'll explain in more detail what that is, what the Full Story School does. Just an update since then, they have a podcast called Freedom Means, and they've done a second season of that. And then also they started a podcast for kids called Kistory, which explains historical events to kids. Also, I want to remind you guys about our affiliates, Thrive Market and Earth Mama Organics. You can go into the liner notes. Again, everything is in the liner notes. It's all there. And you can go in and click on those links for some special deals. Um, and also make sure that if you're going to buy from those places, go through those links because that helps this podcast. Also, if you're interested in this work, Bonnie has an audiobook and a workbook that also goes along with this. Her audiobook, you can check out. It's called When Your Kids Push Your Buttons and What You Can Do About It. A lot of this, if you've been listening to the podcast, it, it all makes sense one, once you especially read that book. For those who have been listening to this podcast for a while, then, you know, if you haven't read the book, you absolutely should, because there's so many things that come up that are directly talked about in the book. So please check those liner notes um, and click on all the links and hope you all are well. And we'll see you next week. Growing up in New England, often sort of civility and decorum is far prioritized over transparency and authenticity. And so when we practice these conversations of transparency and authenticity and become better with, you know, regulating ourselves, our emotions, finding the words, um, it allows us to be more free. Tell Me About Your Kids is a chance for you to listen in on unscripted conversations with connected parenting specialist Bonnie Harris. As she talks with real parents like you about real struggles like yours, these counseling sessions get to the heart of why our buttons get pushed as parents and offer tips and advice useful no matter your child's age. Listen in and subscribe to let go of old habits and raise your kids in a way that feels good. If you're having a parenting challenge and need help, visit BonnieHarris.com for free resources, schedule a session, or get a free one-on-one counseling session by becoming a podcast guest. We're all in it together. You're not alone. Thanks for listening. Tell me about your kids. Welcome back to Tell Me About Your Kids. I'm Bonnie Harris, your host. Today we're doing another Community Pieces, and I'm thrilled to be bringing you two amazing women who are in the business of helping you talk to and educate your children about race and racism. Grace Aldridge and Emma Redden have made it their mission to first educate adults about how to look at our histories and heritage and understand our own relationship with race— no matter what your race, and then how to talk to our children in those everyday situations in order to help them develop awareness and respect around the topic of race, heritage, and skin color. 
Imagine if all our children were brought up normalizing every race, every skin color, and understanding it all in a way you probably haven't even thought of. I'm very excited for you to hear this rich discussion. So good morning. I am so glad to have you both on the show. Grace and Emma, welcome. Thank you, Bonnie. It's great to be here. Thank you for having us, Bonnie. I'm very excited to hear about your work. So um, can you can you tell me and our audience a little about Full Story School? Yes, absolutely. Uh, the Full Story School is a project that Emma and I put together to help grown-ups have effective conversations with young people about race and racialized violence. And so we hold workshops and classes in school settings or in churches or really any group where there's grown-ups who want to do this work. I just think this is so important because I know that there are so many parents who hear We've got to talk to our kids about race, and and we don't know where to start. So how did you come to this? Well, I, I grew up in Boston in a really sort of diverse pocket of a pretty segregated city. And um, my mom is white, my dad is black, and we really didn't have conversations in my house about race growing up. It, it wasn't even sort of like a color blind approach. It was just a non-issue. And I grew up going to predominantly white, uh, you know, school institutions. And I met my husband in New Hampshire, um, where I live now in traditional Abenaki territory. And it was sort of around 2014 when videos of unarmed Black people being killed by the state were really coming into the news a lot. And I saw the stark difference between my experience of those videos and that of most of my community. And so I was looking for a way to have conversations about that. And my son at that time, it was when he was three, he sort of shared with me kind of out of the blue, he said, you know, mom, I don't want to be brown. And that was a devastating thing for me to hear that, Mm. you know, there was something about him that he couldn't change that he found was deficient in some way. Mm. And that he, you know, might have seen that deficiency in me and I gave it to him. And so I was really confused. You know, we had the books with representation. We saw shows um, that represented uh, black and brown people. But I realized, you know, I had obviously a, a gap, a large gap to cover. And so I started looking in earnest on resources. And a mutual friend of Emma and mine introduced me to her, and she was having workshops uh, on the subject. And so I got in my car and I drove up to Burlington and it was like air to me. And I really realized um, it sort of introduced me to myself in a way because Mm. I was able to articulate wisdom that I had accumulated over the 40 plus years that I've been black and, and, 
and gave me vocabulary and tools to help my child understand the world more. And it also helped me in turn, because I feel like we're all sort of negligently taught about what race means in this country. Yes, we certainly are. Oh, that's a very moving story. Emma, how did you come to this work and and culminate in this workshop you were teaching? I grew up on unceded Penacook land um, in southern Vermont. And how old were you when you learned that, what you just described as southern Vermont? Yeah, that's a great question. <laughs> when I was 20, maybe? That's even young, yeah. And 20 years too late, Yes, too, I yes, think. sure. Yeah. <laughs> Both. I grew up in a story that, even though I was almost almost exclusively surrounded by white folks, that somehow whiteness was irrelevant to our experience as as community members. And after I graduated from high school for the first time in my life, I had Black, Indigenous, South Asian teachers who offered me a profound re-education um, that made me really rethink what it meant for me to grow up as a young white person on the land I grew up on with the folks I grew up on with. Um, and I had always really, really been felt connected to and loved young children. And I was increasingly really, really interested in understanding how race and racism worked and operated and had the opportunity to sort of study those things together. So as I was becoming um, in school to become a preschool teacher, I also, my main focus was on what I was called racial justice early ed. So thinking about what does it look like to, to, teach honest histories of this land in this country we live in with young, young people. Mm. So I had my own preschool classroom and I was doing that work with my kids and I became increasingly interested in collaborating with other grownups around it. So a couple of years ago, asked a community organization if I could rent space and um, yeah, held a, a, a series that where I met Grace and Grace showed up and told me she'd driven three hours and I was amazed <laughs> and forever grateful that she came and we met. And yeah, Grace and I really, I think pretty quickly felt, I'll speak for myself. I quickly felt connected to Grace and, and yeah, when we started working together, it just felt right really quick. I agree. It just, it just <laughs> fell into place really beautifully. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. And now you have a podcast as well. That's right. So you say that Children of all races live racialized lives every day. Can you explain that? What is that? What does that mean yeah. to any parent who's listening to this? I was raised inside of the story that race was something black and brown people had. Mm -hmm. And when there weren't black and brown people around, there was no race and therefore no racism. So if we had an all-white classroom, there weren't any black students in the classroom, the story was then there it would be impossible to do racism in that space because there's no one to target. There's no body, human body there to be targeted. And actually, <laughs> white children have have a race. They're, they have they are racialized white from the moment they are born in so many ways. And therefore, their experience of the world, what they have access to, how they're treated, what spaces they're in, 
how people relate to their mind, how people relate to their behavior. Their whiteness is relevant to how they operate in the world and how the the world interacts with them. Their experience with doctors, their experience, how their behavior is responded to at school, their experiences with police, where they live, all of those things are deeply influenced by race. So I think often when we work, especially with white adults who are predominantly in spaces with white children, there's this notion that they sort of need to wait for race to become irrelevant through someone else. And actually, I'm deeply interested in how do we understand, um, and I say we, you and I, Bonnie, yes, like how do we, right. in, in a general we of white folks, like how do we how do we understand the children in our lives? And specifically here, I'm talking about white children. How do we understand those lives as racialized lives? So then we have the opportunity and we, we, we create the opportunity with them to, to help them recognize and and really process what that means with them as they're living it. I know um, I had the opportunity to take a class with Beverly Daniel Tatum, who wrote, you know, why are all the black kids sitting together in the cafeteria? And it mm-hmm. was, you know, childhood development 101. And she talked about, you know, when children started identifying race And in her research and the studies that she presented, it was that children of color, Black children in particular, would first ask the questions, you know, what am I? Like, what, why am I different? And Mm -hmm. that the white children would ask, you know, what are they? Because they they experienced themselves as the norm. And that happened in preschool. You know, she was presenting... You know, those those studies were done with really, really young children. So I think that a lot of people have this idea that children are not seeing, but just as much as they see height and, you know, hair color and all other things, they also notice the, the skin color differences. So, you know, I'm thinking about my own upbringing in upstate New York and... Growing up as a white child and privileged in terms of not worrying about where food was coming from, as you were saying, Emma, I didn't think about race. Race was what belonged to people of color, and they lived in a different part of town. And, you know, there might be one black or brown or a different race child in a classroom. But I didn't think about it. I didn't think about it at all because I didn't have to. And that's that's what I think we're coming to now, realizing how, uh, I don't even know what words to put to it. It's embarrassing. Yeah, I, th- I think that, um, you know, Ibram Kendi, and I'm so grateful for all the resources and writers and thinkers uh, that have put words to, mm. you know, what we are experiencing and how we think. And um, Ibram X. Kendi is one of my favorites. And when he shared, you know, that um, he, you know, he put it in, you know, uh, denial is the heartbeat of racism. And I think when people think denial, that it's sort of like a conscious um, pushing away. And sometimes it can be conscious, mm-hmm. but a lot of times it is 
you know, the water we swim in. Denial is the water that we swim in. Exactly. I think of people who say, I don't see color. <laughs> I think that's intentionally den- in denial somehow. Yeah. That there's, you know, and they think they're saying, I'm not, I'm not a racist because I don't even see it. Of course you right. see it. Everybody sees right. it. And children especially see it. And children ask the questions. Right, exactly. And I think, too, you know, that idea of, you know, I don't see color as absolving yourself from being conditioned mm-hmm. into, you know, race is, it's not benign. You know, it is erasure. It's like saying, because you're a person of color, I don't see your color. It doesn't, yeah. that, that's not part of who you are. Yeah. Which yeah. is... I don't need it's a doesn't even have meaning. It's ridiculous. Mm. So I would love you to both tell us what your workshops are like. What how do you and what can you give to the parents who are listening today about how they can talk to their kids? How do you start the conversations? What are some of the uh, contexts in which parents can bring it up? We start the conversation with the lived experience of the grown-up, and we don't actually get to sort of supporting them and thinking about how to talk with children until we're quite a bit a ways mm-hmm. in, um, because we find that there's three main pieces to talking effectively with young people. One is understanding what you're even talking about. In, in any words, right? Like, what happened? How was race created? What does it actually mean for the lives of people who are racialized in all sorts of different ways in this country? How is it upheld? How do we engage with it? What has it done soulfully? I'll speak as a white person. What has it done, like, really harmfully, soulfully to white folks? So we start with trying to support folks in in some context about what happened. So we we do a his, we work through a history of the creation of race. And I usually lead that using the language I use with my preschoolers. So it's an opportunity for grown-ups to both get some of the history that some of us may not have gotten in our own schooling and also a way to to actually he- hear what the language could sound like to talk about, you know, these very very painful historical experiences like colonization, like genocide, like enslavement um, in language that, you know, I would, for example, use with a three and four-year-old. So we start with this piece of what happened. Right. Like when Columbus came to this country, my education was making him a hero and founding the country. And isn't it wonderful? And how wonderfully the pilgrims got along with the Indians, and it's a total lie. Exactly. It is a total lie. And and it's impossible to talk to children honestly about that lie if we as grown-ups don't know yes, actually the truth, yes. right? If we don't know that the only reason that Columbus used the word Indian is because he was lost and he thought he was going to India, right? Right. That when he landed, when he met the Taino people who were the indigenous people of the islands where he landed, that actually he made them work for him. And when none of them could find gold, he enslaved them. Like he, without their consent, he stole their bodies. 
we as grownups have been taught really, really violent lies about the history of this country, ones that glorify white folks, that glorify white men in ways that are unbelievably dangerous and violent because actually white folks have enabled, enacted, participated in mass murder for hundreds and hundreds of years. Um, Exactly what you're saying. So this first piece is like having building, and this is lifelong work, but building an increasingly honest and historically accurate understanding of what happened. So that's the first piece. The second piece is even if we have the language, even if we sort of know what can talk about what happened, if our body is essentially in fight, flight, or freeze, if we're really emotionally dysregulated, if we're feeling really afraid, if we're feeling really like a lot of confusion or anger or shame or all these things is is coming up for us, it's going to be very hard to clearly articulate a, and, and speak to a young person. And not only is it hard, but they're picking up on, oh, when I ask this question, this grown up in my life is responding in a way that feels pretty unsafe, potentially unsafe, makes me worried, whatever, as the child. So the second piece we do, and Grace is so so thoughtful and, and does this so beautifully. Grace is a body worker and has a lot of um, wisdom and, and, and thinking about sort of the, the somatics of, of this work. Um, we're really influenced by the work of Reza Minikim, who's a, a trauma therapist who talks about the, the somatic experience of racism. So then we work with folks on how do we relate to our bodies in a way where when we decide to engage in these conversations, we can do it in a way where we can be settled to some extent. And then we move into thinking about language. So we have a settled body. We have some actually historically accurate information about race and racism. And then how are we going to use words? How are we going to reflect the language that young people use in their own lives to talk to them about these ideas? And so Grace and I, are we really operate from a belief that None of this is inappropriate to talk about with a child. Like, this is their life. We're talking to them about their own lives. So and so the question is not, is it appropriate or is it not appropriate? The question is, how do we do it effectively? How do we use language effectively where they're not confused? They're not, and it doesn't mean they're going to understand everything immediately, but we're not going to add to confusion. We're going to use, literally, we're going to use vocabulary words that they have access to. Right. We're deeply influenced by this incredible grief counselor named Jill McFarlane, who works at a um, grief center in Salt Lake City, Utah. And she offered to us, she facilitates support groups for three to five-year-olds who have survived the suicide of a loved one. And she offered to, I had the opportunity to talk to her, um, which completely changed my life. And she offered to me, the question is about like, how do we choose vocabulary word? Literally, like just how do we choose the vocabulary words that they understand to talk about these ideas? Yeah. And I, I really appreciate that, that grief piece because the, um, the emotions can be really potent. I mean, that's why we avoid the conversations uh, because of what mm. comes up in our in our bodies. Continue on that vein because I want um, I'd like to hear how the whole grief piece fits in mm-hmm. with the racial piece, um, how that all fits together. One, as Emma was saying, sort of the things that 
we hold in our bodies uh, are transmitted when we're communicating. Most of our communication is nonverbal. And um, kids are experts at picking up those cues. So having practices that help to ground us, um, pacing a conversation so that we take time to process the emotions that come up are important. And those practices are so important for adults and children because we're taught so often to override the messages that we get in our bodies. So um, we, you know, in our podcast, Freedom Means, we did sort of talk about that, uh, why is Columbus Day called Indigenous Peoples Day? And, you know, when we're talking about things that are heartbreaking and sadness comes up, I think it's okay to stop and to say, you know, how do, how is your body feeling? Like, what what is it feeling? And, you know, where are you feeling it? And does that, you know, where, you know, it's like if I'm feeling sadness, you know, in my chest, it's like, no, that is amazing that you're you're listening to your body tell you that. And does that part need to be taken care of in some, some way. Do you want a hug? Do you want to sing? Do you want to hold your bear? You know, something like that. So that, you know, kids also become proficient in processing hard emotions. And uh, Emma, the other day you were talking so beautifully about, you know, teaching this because, you know, we should have compassion for ourselves when emotions come up. And kids should know that it's okay for adults to grieve. And you were sharing, Emma, about the kids' response to you. I don't when you were, you know, had emotions come up while you were talking to them, and that they took care of you, that they, you know, came and showed you so much love. And I thought, you know, what a beautiful gift to give to a child because their love is so powerful, and that they can, you know, that, you know, if we give them opportunities to give it to us, then they see their importance. And um, yeah, they get to practice that taking care of each other. Um, and the other thing is, I mean, a lot of people, when we start talking, they're like, why would I want to do this? Like, this sounds so devastating and, and hard. And um, there's a lot of reasons. But my experience has been is that there is so much liberation on the other side. You know, growing up in New England, often sort of civility and decorum is far prioritized over transparency and authenticity. And so when we practice these conversations of transparency and authenticity and become better with, you know, regulating ourselves, our emotions, and um, finding the words, um, it allows us to be more free. It's so interesting as I'm listening to this, it's, it fits like a hand in a glove with the work that I do helping parents understand the messages that they brought to their parenting from their own childhoods and how those messages, even though not true, how we hold them and our subconscious 
shoots them out of our mouths in the heat of the moment when we're frustrated and angry with a child who's pushing that button. And this is, it's all, it's, it's making me think very much of the same thing, those wounds, those, that sadness, and that all gets in our way of communicating the truth with our children. And we don't, say the truth, even though we think we're, we're not lying to them, we are all the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just as we, just as like denial is the heartbeat of racism, it, denial is what we practice in our own bodies, denying what comes up in ourselves and then communicating. And we were taught it well as children, how to deny our emotions. Yeah, know? yeah, absolutely. So yeah, it's liberating work. It's liberating work. Give, give the parents who are listening some, some practical steps, if that's possible, of how they want to think about this and about it in their own lives. And then also, how can they, um, not that you can tell them how to talk to their children, it sounds like it's a, you know, it's a very complicated piece, but it is, it's in understanding their own education, right? And yes. what was denied in their education, and then bringing it up. For me, one place to start is to, for the grownups to to all of this is like a muscle, right? Is to like engage the muscle of trying to understand in situations or experiences that they're having with their children, what is a racialized dynamic of that experience? Mm -hmm. So let's just say like um, a child's having a doctor's appointment and they have a particular experience with a doctor. And I'm going to speak specifically about thinking about like myself as a white child going to the doctor. I had a really positive association with the doctor. I like going to the doctor. It was fun. When I told the doctor um, something hurt, I was believed. Um, my family had, I had health insurance as a child. So through my dad's job. So it wasn't a huge um, source of financial stress for us to go to the, for me to go to the doctor. I think a practice I'm really interested in is, is grownups considering how did race influence that experience my child just had? Whether it was it negatively impacted it, or in my case as a child going to the doctor, my race and the race of my parents was really relevant to how I was responded to at the doctor's office. And so I'm really interested in helping folks first ground these conversations in everyday experiences of their children. And then to start considering how did whiteness in, in this instance impact how I was treated and how may that have been different if I had been right, raci- if I was right. racialized in a different right. way. I think it's challenging for the first conversation we have with a young person to be about a really, really awful act of racial violence. That's like often perhaps what they would is most commonly, for example, shared on the news. Mm-hmm. But there's a, there's a lot, a lot of context 
that I think is helpful to have with children before we're going to talk about the ways that race is completely deadly in individual people's lives. And so we can share later the this lives this pyramid lives online if folks want to look at it but essentially it starts with the bottom is starts with skin color and talking about things that are observable so skin color isn't a social construct it's some, it's related to how much how active the melanin in our skin is and babies at the age of 6 months recognize skin color so skin mm-hmm. color is something that we can be pointing out in a um, from when children are very, very young. And then from there, I'm really interested in thinking about talking about melanin, like what actually makes people have different skin color, and then moving into talking about how melanin is connected to ancestry and that people essentially have come from ancestors from all over the world, and that impacts the color of their skin now. And then moving into the idea that race was invented based off of um, – physical characteristics, different physical characteristics between people and where in the world their ancestors were from. Whiteness and blackness in the invention of racism by Europeans was really grounded in white folks were European and black folks were from the continent of Africa. Um, And then once we talk about the races as a creation, then talking about how racism operates in so many ways in our culture and then thinking about talking about white white supremacy culture. So I think that, and, and, and I'm interested in that work too, because we could start at the bottom of the pyramid, we could start with tiny babies when we're talking about, when we're naming color, we're naming the color of the school bus and the sky and the stop sign and, and ourselves, mm-hmm. like we can just mm-hmm. name color people's bodies. Mm-hmm. Um, and we can do that, for, yeah, as I said, from a very, very young age. Um, and if we, like, I, I'm a preschool teacher, and so I don't have kids when they're six months old. They come to my classroom for the first time when they're three, and, and there I still start at the beginning. So I still oh, I yeah. still sort of follow a similar sequence. And I think that could even be true in high school or for grownups. Like, I think having a context about how we got to the moment we are in this country, offering a context that starts at some of these fundamental pieces, for example, like that human beings have different skin colors, I think can be really helpful. That's wonderful. Yeah, I think that's, uh, and for children, especially, you've got to start with what's real for them. Because certainly in the first six years, they're fully egocentric and don't have the the construct, don't have the uh, cognitive ability to really reach out there. They're seeing other people's colors, but only as it relates to them. Why is that person different from me? So by doing what you're talking about, starting right off talking about skin color and your skin color and my skin color and his skin color and her skin color, you're bringing it into that individual child in a way that she can understand that. And so by the time she is capable of looking outside of herself and really seeing how what's going on in in the greater world she's already got that construct so i think that's i think that's great yeah that that's been really helpful for me with calvin sort of like naming what is true what is observable fact yeah. and then you can understand what is the story what are the stories that we've put on top of that mm-hmm. and for me it was a couple of years ago well it was during um the uh when we were in quarantine, um, we started in quarantine and we were going to the grocery store 
And um, Calvin and I had already had a conversation where he was like, why, are every, why is everybody outside with all the signs during the uprisings? And, um, uh, and so we had a conversation about that. And um, so we would go to the grocery store. It was like our one outing and we would bring the cat in the car and he would hang out with our cat <laughs> Wazy in the car. And I came out and he was really upset. And he was like, you know, everybody has these masks on. I don't see my friends. Like just, mm. you know, mm-hmm. really upset. And so I was listening to him and then he got really quiet as we were driving home. And then he said, sort of out of the blue, he's like, Mama, I want to have an argument and I was like, whoa. I was like, with me? <laughs> I was like, it's never stopped you. <laughs> like, we go right ahead. Uh-huh. And uh, he said, no, I want to have an argument with COVID. Oh. And um, I said, do you want to have an argument? He was like, yeah, I want to put a sign at the bottom of our driveway. And I was like, you want to protest COVID? He said, yeah. So we went home, and he made a sign. And it said, um, I'm tired of this. I'm not scared. Nothing in the world is going to keep me down. Whoa. How old was he? This was, he was nine. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he was nine. And um, yeah, I was super proud of him. And, but I felt like he had learned from this American tradition of protest from what he had seen and understanding what it meant after, because we had gone and had the conversation and he had used it as a way to. Power himself yes, and draw yeah, a line yeah. in his own life about how he wanted to show up in his life. So you know, that's an example of just what what a gift it is to tell the truth to our children. Right? How important? How important yeah, it yeah. is? Yes, yes. So this has been a really um, eye opening and wonderful conversation with both of you. I'm so glad that we've done this. And thank you so much for coming on Tell Me About Your Kids. Thank you so much. It's great. Really appreciate it. Thank you, Bonnie. We'll put um, all your information in the show notes so people can look you up and find out how how to talk to you. Great. Wonderful. I appreciate it. Thanks for listening. I'm Bonnie Harris. If you're curious to learn more or would like to talk to me personally, check out my website, bonnieharris.com, where you can also find my books, When Your Kids Push Your Buttons and Confident Parents' Remarkable Kids. There are also links in the liner notes. And please subscribe to Tell Me About Your Kids on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Tell Me About Your Kids is produced and scored by Echo Finch.